What's up, Redemption? Welcome into Competitive Deck Building 101 with John Hendricks and our guest this week, Rob Smith. We're going to be talking about some of the basic principles for competitive deck building and things of that nature for all of the new players that we've gotten into the community recently. And we're going to also be going over some recent news that has come out within the game of Redemption. A lot of exciting things are happening right now. So without further ado, we'll get right into it. Thanks for being here. All right, thank you for joining on another episode of The Threshing Floor. John Hendricks here with Rob Smith again, the demon hunter himself. How you doing, Rob? Doing good, John. How you doing, bud? Pretty good. At this point, uh, we're probably going to have to add you on the payroll if we keep getting you on here. <laughs> well, that's, fine. that's fine with me. I got three kids. I could use it. <laughs> yeah, with gas prices, everyone needs a little bit of, little bit of side hustle. Yeah, exactly. So... Tonight, we're going to go over some recent news for the game and different things that have come out in the the past week or so here. And then we're going to get into tonight's topic, which is going to be deck building. And I know that our friends with Thoughts from Portland, Jay and John, are discussing deck building and, and taking that next step where it relates to deck building and being a better player in game. But that's more geared towards players that already have a strong foundation and they're just taking the next step. So we're going to kind of try to pull it back a little bit and do it more for beginners so that you kind of have a way to start building that foundation, so to speak. Um, so before we get into that, we'll go ahead and go over some recent news. And part of the news is, as I said, our friends at Thoughts from Portland, they are back after being on hiatus for a month. Thoughts from Portland is back back so make sure you check out their latest episode also we have lackey grand prix that's currently going on we are finishing up round three at this point i don't believe round four pairings have been announced yet how's the uh how's the lackey grand prix going for you rob not too bad um i had uh two pretty good wins round one and round two and then uh round three i lost but it was actually a timeout loss so I believe it was four to three, and that was to uh, him um, or Jared, as some people might know him. So a little bit better than it was within time. I still get one point, but uh, definitely made some misplaying on there. I think actually Jaden live streamed it, and uh, yeah, there were some things that I'm looking back like, wow, I missed that. And then there were things like the Jaden just flat out told me he's like, yeah, I shamed you. I'm like, yeah, beginning mistakes, beginner mistakes I shouldn't have made. And but uh, overall, pretty good. Uh, you know, if I can do pretty good in my next round, I think I probably got a good solid shot at maybe making top four. So, and you are playing disciples, correct? Uh, yes, I can't guarantee that's what I'll be playing forward, but the last three games were some form my form of uh disciple speed that uh, I collaborated with uh Luke Marshall to make cool, cool. And I assume that revolves around our boy Matthew. Oh, of course, <laughs> got that wicked draw ability. So, my first round, I played against Jay. I mentioned it on the podcast with him playing the combo deck. And then I've played the combo. I've built my own combo deck and played it the last two weeks. And I've won those. I won five to two over Josh two weeks ago. And this past week I played against Renee and won five to zero. Defense was pretty, pretty strong in that game. Um, So right now I, I kind of want to test some other things, but I also don't mind giving uh, some exposure to the combo so that hopefully they go ahead and take care of it. Because if no one plays it, then no one complains about it. 
But if someone plays it, then people are going to complain about it, which only helps the cause. Yeah, I agree there. Also, in addition to the Lackey Grand Prix, we have online tournaments. Uh, big news is that Derek Torado, owner of Your Turn Game, uh, he mentioned wanting to do some other things with the game. And I guess part of that right now is that he wants to host these online contender tournaments to kind of generate more play geared towards beginners and whatnot. And he's been giving the uh, permission from Rob to do sanctioned online tournaments. So you will get prize support and RNRS points for the next contender tournament, which I believe is going to be on the 2nd of April. I think that's the the date, but he did put that it is tentative, uh, making sure that he had enough players sign up. So it could change based on participation, but as long as participation is there, it's going to be on the 2nd of April. And then we have the March Online Local, which is what Chris Fashman usually hosts. And that tournament is going to be on the 26th of March, which is not this coming Saturday, but the following Saturday. So last Saturday of the month. And that's going to be your standard online local that he's been hosting for the better part of the last year. Maybe more than that. In GOC news, Phase 2 was passed from the Elder Team to Cactus over this past weekend. And should be going to print at some point this week. So Phase 2 is going to the printer soon. Which should ensure that we have it in time for Nationals. So that's huge news, and we're all excited about that because everyone wants to crack open Phase 2. In fact, we've got two Phase 2 spoilers that we'll go over here shortly. One that was spoiled by our friend Rob M. in New York. I'm not even going to butcher his last name. Sorry, Rob. But Rob M. Studios on YouTube, you can go and watch his spoiler video for everything that we know about Phase 2 so far. And there is a new spoiler on there. It's an angel called the Ministering Spirit, and we're going to go over it. But if you want to see the artwork, see what it looks like, you'll have to go and check out his video. And then earlier today, which seems Monday just happens to be a big news day, Chris, who we've had on the podcast a couple of times recently, he was on last week. He and Mr. Hiatus himself, which is Tyler Stevens, are kind of running point on the next few sets. And... They let it out that they have the next two sets named and a master plan for a potential four to six additional sets after that, you know, with flexibility that if someone else wants to interject and put sets here or there, you know, they're they're open to change within that. But they do have a master plan, which is really cool to know that the future of the game is being planned out, not just the here and now, which we all want to see the game grow and thrive and to know that, you know, They're as dedicated as they are to have sets that far in advance is a fantastic thing to know as a player who is investing into the game right now in the here and now. So with that, we'll go ahead and get into the two spoilers that we have. The aforementioned Ministering Spirit, which looks absolutely insane. The the special ability is crazy. And then the return of an old favorite for Drachma Coin, an artifact that was originally printed i think in disciples not 100 percent sure but it is a reprint has an updated ability and we'll go over that but we'll start with the ministering spirit and i'll let you go ahead rob what stands out the most about this card so far well just to start off the artwork kind of looks like a mixture of thanos and thor but uh <laughs> other than that the ability just first unity 
uh, Unity. I don't, I don't think there's a Unity for Silver that I know of yet. And so this card basically, uh, you know, I'll go ahead and read the ability. If opponent uses a draw ability, you may underdeck an evil card in a set-aside area or territory. While in battle, restrict evil enhancements with a brigade not already in battle. Cannot be prevented in his territory class. Um, that just seems pretty good. Just putting him out there, he's probably never going to see battle. I mean, he's got l- lowish numbers, so he probably could get initiative if need be, but I guarantee you he's probably going to be one of the ones that's just going to sit on the bench and just start ripping territory stuff apart. You know, draw, we've, as we've seen, is a pretty good ability, especially in GOC, you know, with we've got the first and the high places, and we talked about Matthew, and Daenerys is getting some some play there. So drawing is probably going to be everywhere. So this right here is probably going to get some good use. And and the fact that it says an evil card in a set-aside area too is another answer to shield. So just a great card just to have sitting in your territory and just doing things. And then even if he is in battle, restricting evil enhancements, you know, and we still play, you know, multi-brigade enhancements, you know. So if he's in battle and you've got him doing something like that and they've sent out a black or a gray evil character, well, they're not going to be able to play their scattered because pale green's not in. So definitely a pretty good card there in my opinion yeah i will say having that ability that restricts evil enhancements with a brigade not already in battle it's kind of like a good version of ananias the high priest yeah Yeah. and so you have that you have a great territory class ability and i'll touch on the artwork i think the artwork is pretty cool on it what do you think about the 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 hand stretching over the icon box I think that's actually pretty cool. Like at, at first, it's like he's almost reaching to grab his own territory class uh, symbol right there. But the, yeah, the artwork is just phenomenal. I mean, just we, everything, just like everything we've seen in GOC, the artwork is just like bumped extremely up. Even seeing some cards, you're like, man, that card is weak, but man, that art looks cool. And I just want to use it and have it. Like, it's just amazing. It's it's not Angel Wars, John. Yeah, definitely. The only thing, the only gripe that I could possibly have with the artwork on this card and Gabe, don't come for me. It's just a just. I get why you this was done this way, but the cross I think should be behind the finger because it looks like now you're you're separating the icon box, and now the cross is not in the part of the box. It's in front, and you're looking at layers now versus him just reaching beyond it. But I get that they wanted that to be in the for, forefront so that you can easily tell the icon for the card. But that's that's the one gripe I would have about the artwork. Other than that. I think it's really cool, and I think it continues the, I don't know, we're seeing this, it used to just be really subtle ways that you're getting the 3D effects, and now it's just like, we're going all into it, we're leaning into it a little bit more, but definitely a great card, and I was not expecting when I clicked on Rob's video to see a new spoiler, so literally came out of nowhere for me, which... Just makes it that much better. And he's CBP, John, so if they got, like, Confusion of Mine or something out, yeah, it's, he's still working. Yep, and, you know, if they've got Jesse and then you, you drop that down. And you mentioned how strong drawing abilities are and Daenerys with a draw three. What about four drop McCoin? Maintaining a draw four. While Peter is in play, you may discard, discard to draw four, but before that on the ability, it adds a new layer because I'm pretty sure the original one just had the draw ability if I'm not mistaken. But this is protect hand, deck, and reserve from opponents. While Peter is in play, you may discard, discard to draw four. And then it can be activated on Peter. So it was already mentioned in the spoiler channel when this was dropped that it's an easy draw four. You just have Peter and then boom. But it's not quite as easy to pull off as Daenerys because Daenerys goes and gets the 
character that it needs in play in order to discard for the draw. And you can put Nero in pretty much any any deck because at a certain point he makes an opponent burn a resource to beat him because of his protection and he's CBP. So he can stand alone and make an opponent burn a resource or two. And we don't know what the new Peter is going to do at all. We don't have any idea of the ability. So depending on how that goes, he's probably not going to fit into a ton of decks in a splashable way because they've already given a lot of like splashable abilities on Thomas and Matthew, which I'll actually go on record and say that I'm backing off of thinking that Peter is going to be an ultra rare. I do not think he's going to be. And I'll tell you why. If Matthew, with the ability that he had, was not, and Thomas the Twin was not, do you know how much more strong an ability for a disciple would have to be for them to decide that's an ultra rare? And I just don't know if, I don't know if you can push it that far beyond what Matthew and Thomas are. So I don't know that we're going to see an ultra rare Peter based on the power level of his ability. What do you think about that? Uh, John, I actually would have to respectfully disagree with you there. Um I said for a while back that I thought Peter would be the ultra rare and, you know, his ability could be something as crazy as he searches out, you know, Jock McCoin or something of the effect. But uh, whether he is or whether he's not, you know, I'm still, this card is pretty good. And if Peter's not an ultra rare, well, I'll take the L there. But I just thinking about what his ability would have to be, though, in order to like, even if he searches out for Jock McCoin and activates it. Okay, you get a draw four one time. Matthew gets that every stinking time he goes into battle, and he's not an ultra rare. That's true. Like, I just don't know if there's enough room for that ability to be so wow that, boom, we've got to make him an ultra rare. I think his, he's going to be as strong as Matthew and Thomas. And, you know, even Simon's really good to choose the block. That's the, oh, the yeah. one that chooses the blocker, right? Mm-hmm, yeah, yep. so, I mean, I just don't know if there's enough room for a disciple's ability to get above what you've already seen. But – you know, that's just one man's opinion. So just wait and see. And hopefully we'll get to we'll get to see when we are opening boxes at Nationals, which I am so I am so stinking stoked for Nationals. Um, oh man, you both. Yeah. I think it's going to be absolutely insane. So we'll go ahead and move into our conversation for the evening and talk about some introductory tips for beginners you know, making the step into competitive deck building. And we'll try to make sure that we approach this by using terms that are easy to understand and whatnot. And, you know, if we use a quote unquote term like flex dominant, we'll say what that is. But we'll we'll go ahead and just get into it. And this was inspired last minute by a conversation that came up on Discord today. I saw where one of our newer players was asking about, you know, tips and and help for how to build a deck, how to get it down to a certain number. It seems like our newer players are struggling to get decks that are close to 50. Um, Some of them don't necessarily understand the benefit of being at 50 versus, you know, 56, 57. So I just thought maybe, you know, I know that John and Jay are working on, you know, tips for advanced play, but maybe we could, you know, do it in a more beginner-friendly way here and kind of lay down some groundwork for building a foundation for deck building. So we'll start with your objective when building a deck. What is the first thing, Rob, that you think about when you build your decks? The first thing that I think about when building my decks, essentially what I want my offense to do. I know before 
and I won't rant on too long, but when I was first getting back into the game, like I would jump on and be like, okay, I'm going to play Green Prophets and Philistines. And that, and I, I had picked before I even decided anything. Like that's what I did. I just picked a brigade or, uh, or a, uh, a faction theme, whatever you want to call it, just because it sounded good. And I would just go with that. And then you start running into problems. Well, okay, well, I mean, there's lots of different ways to run these different things. But I think you really got to dial it back to, okay, what is the purpose of the game? I, I need to win five lost souls to win. Like that, that's no matter what, I need five souls, unless you're playing the cross, which, you know, we'll see if, if that becomes more viable for that alternate win condition. But you're still trying to get five souls even with that. So the first thing that I always break down to is my offense and just, and not really, when I say my offense, not really like picking, I want to run silver or I want to run purple. Like, I mean, there's different kinds of offenses. Like, what, do I want to do and what does my play style do I want, you know, a big banding chain that's going to come in and CBN protected and just hopefully they don't have nothing. Or am I trying to go with, um, you know, there's a meek offense going around or am I trying to pull off some of these like, you know, cheese rescues with a lot of little guys like Simon, for example, you know, choosing the blocker. And once you kind of figure out what that play style is, what you kind of want to do, then I think it's where you can go ahead. Okay, what what can I do with themes with this? What can I, you know, okay, the Genesis, if I'm picking Meek, they have a lot of great Meek support, um, especially with Goshen and, you know, Book of the Wall. There's a lot of things you can do. So you start with basically, and if you don't know this, I, I would suggest you reach out to somebody and say, hey, you know, what kind of different types of offenses are there? And anyone, the Discord on on the boards, anybody is happy to answer you and say, hey, yeah, there's this, there's that. And and kind of explain it to you too, like what each one does. And when you're building that deck, that first thing is, and I, I think I've heard a couple people say it, Jay's definitely been one of them, is basically coming up with the questions that you're going to ask your opponent. Because when you're going in for a rescue, you're, you're proposing them a question and they have to figure out how to answer it. So I think that's the first step, in my opinion, in deck building is what questions do you want to give to your opponent? That's definitely a fair place to start. And I think... It's really good to identify what is strategy versus goal because every deck in this game, because of the way that the, the game is won, is you have to reach your lost soul count before the opponent. In type 2, that's 7. In type 1, that is 5. I'm pretty sure that, that Jaden and Tyler are really going to enjoy the fact that I, I gave the, the winning condition for type 2 first. <laughs> but so everybody's trying to reach the win condition, the number of souls before the opponent does. So the goal is that the goal is to reach your win condition first, but then strategy is defined as an attempt to reach a goal or the way that you're going to try to reach that goal. So now your deck strategy is how you are attempting to achieve the goal. And you mentioned there's, there's various different ways. Like if you wanted to go meek or whatnot, those are, different strategies for getting your lost soul count, which you have to get five. You have to win at least three in battle, generally, and you get the two free ones. But within that, your your deck can be built to do a variety of other strategies. So it can win by and win by reaching that win condition, but doing so by controlling the opponent's hand, what's in their hand. We've seen Jading do that against Brad in a video where he manipulated, I think it was 18 to 20 cards in his hand by getting rid of the cards in his hand just over and over. So you have hand control. 
Well, you have also resource manipulation, which can be done a couple of ways. You can mill your opponent by taking their resources from their deck and discarding it. You can also use the New Samaritans to manipulate resources by putting them in the reserve where they're harder to access. You can also manipulate them by making it harder for them to play their cards, which is kind of like locking down the territory with your Obeds, your Akeems that negate neutral cards, and then your Golden Calf that restricts enhancements that are being played. You can make it difficult for your opponent to use their cards to accumulate resources after you've accumulated resources. So you want to be fast and put down counters, things like that. That's a strategy. And those are ways that you are trying to achieve that win condition. And I will say that it's really important that once you decide on what deck your what your overall idea for a deck is, and maybe it's more important to decide your play style or what you want your deck to play like before you pick a theme and then try to narrow it down. You know, like you, you mentioned, you can't just pick, oh, I'm going to run Green Prophets and Philistines without knowing you know, what the best options in the game are for achieving your goal and what strategy you're going to use to achieve that. But once you decide on a strategy for your deck, every single card slot needs to be optimized with that in mind. And that means offense, defense, lost souls, dominance, all of your support cards. So every card slot needs to be done with your strategy in mind. Is that something that you do routinely? Because I know that I I evaluate with the overall goal in mind when I do that. Is that something that you do as well, Rob? I have more recently. Um, I will say that like in the past, not as much, like it kind of strays a little bit. Like I might find something that's like, oh, that's a neat little two, three card combo, but it doesn't really align with what my deck is trying to do. But more recently, yes, every card that I put in is either contributing to the goal of the deck or it is in there to stop a particular counter that I know will stop me from you doing my goal. Um, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, and every card should be, and you know, we have the reserve and like, um, just a card off the top of my head, feast of boots. Um, great card. I love the card, but when I was playing it, I would find that like, okay, I had a couple times where I opened it in my opening hand. Well, that, that's a brick and just, while we're defining terms, brick just means that card's pretty much going to be dead or useless in my opening hand because the chances they have something in their discard pile for me to banish to draw, you know, slim to none, most likely none. So something like that, it could be good toward what you're trying to do, but it should probably put it in your reserve because it's something you're not going to, anything that you don't want to see in your opening hand, like I either wouldn't play that card or I would put it in reserve. Just my opinion on that. And you, you mentioned starting with, your offense and that's a really good place to start in fact it's where I start most of the time and then the defense is kind of like accentuating that or you know going with it just to try to make sure you have enough time to achieve your win condition and that's the that's another thing to keep in mind when you're you're building a deck from a beginner's perspective and that is that the game has two resources there's no cost to put cards in play like mana or um any rules that that restrict how many you can put in play each turn. So you don't have to worry about that. The the resources that you have are the cards and your ability to get to your cards in your deck and then the time that you have to win the game. And the time I'm not speaking about in terms of 
okay, this is the Lackey Grand Prix. You have an hour and a half to win a game. Obviously, you have time that you're having to keep up with so that you're not getting timed out, you know, like Rob did in his last round. But yeah. <laughs> um, That's true. What I, what I mean is if I go first, I have an advantage because I'm closer to getting to five than my opponent. And the only way that that, that stops in that path to five is if they get a block or I can maintain my, my advantage by getting a block on them or increase that. Time is basically the number of turns that you need to reach your win condition. So if you go first and you can win in three – turns reasonably then that means your opponent in order to get three turns to do the same they're already at the point in the game that they need a block in order to string it out to potentially win because they need three turns to reach theirs and if you get a soul they get a soul you get a soul they get a soul you get a soul and you play your free ones on turn three then you're going to reach five before they do before they get their third battle um, battle phase so Time is relative to how how much time you have in terms of turns to reach your win condition. So what you want to do is you want to start with your offense. I think that's a that's a great starting point. It's how I build most of my decks. And then you are posing questions like like Rob mentioned that other people have used that as an example. You're posing a question to an opponent. Well, you want to make that question as difficult to answer as possible. So when you look at heroes that you can push into battle, let's use um, let's use Jeremiah and Moses, friend of God. Which one of those would you rather push into battle, Rob? Jeremiah. Why is that, Rob? Well, Moses, friend of God, is, I mean, yeah, he's got, I think he makes, was it Excess Plague, CBN, but that's going to require you to have initiative. But Jeremiah is going to, one, look at your opponent's hand, so you're going to know what their resources are, and then two, he's going to toss the next evil enhancement played against you. Absolutely. So if you reveal their hand and they only have one evil enhancement, now they're at the mercy of an evil character going and getting a second enhancement and, you know, burning one to basically you're creating attrition with Jeremiah because you're going to burn a resource or you're going to get a soul or you're going to be put in a situation where they're going to, you know, push a blocker that doesn't need an enhancement necessarily to have higher numbers, whether that's by a band or whatnot. And then you get initiative to play an enhancement. And in that case, you play an enhancement. That's a battle winner. You're tossing the next. So that's a good situation for you to be in. If you happen to lose the battle, guess what happens to Jeremiah? Go ahead and tell him, Rob. He goes back on the top of the deck. And then guess what? He's got a star ability that's going to negate souls until the end of turn when you draw him again. And most of the time, if you're playing him, you're also playing Jeshua, so he's just going to come yep. right back. There you go, Jay. You mentioned Jeshua. Jeremiah is a better overall rescuer than Moses in most applications. That's not to say that Moses isn't a great hero in certain applications. His star ability is really clutch for combo-esque decks. And if you play, you know, Exodus Plagues and things, and you build around that, then obviously he would be a better hero for you. But standalone, you can identify which heroes are going to work better as a standalone piece. Have you have you had any experience doing that where you pick like one hero and then start building around that? I think basically that's what you're doing with your disciples and your Matthew, correct? 
that's a hundred percent it. So I actually, I don't mind telling a quick story. I, you know, I was interested in the disciples and when we first, you know, everybody was doing all the opening the boxes and we were looking at the cards, actually having them. Um, I just like, Oh, I got all nine disciples, threw them all into a deck. And then it was like, wait a minute, I need to back off on this. And I looked at us, you know what? Matthew's ability is really busted. And the fact that he's going to be converted to me, even after you do that, they're not going to, I think he's CBI anyway. So he's basically like, there's two ways that he's going to be negated. They're not going to stop that. But I picked him. I was like, you know what? He's a great rescuer, especially turn one. It, turn one, it's it's very little chance their storehouse is out or anything to protect their hand. Um, so not one, I'm going to get hand knowledge. I'm going to see what, what they open with, what's in their hand. And then two, hopefully draw a lot of cards. And if I'm drawing a lot of cards, then, if, you know, maybe the goal of this deck should be to just start dropping counters. Maybe I can draw into shield or battle and, and put them in a game state that kind of like locks them down. So, um, Luke actually beat me in the first Grand Prix um, when I was running Priest. And then so we were messaging back and forth and we both had this like, I guess, you know, equal love for Matthew and the card it was. So, hey, well, let's start, you know, building this and let's start with him, which is what I said, starting with your offense. And then you when you go to the offense, you look, okay, if my goal is that I want Matthew turn one, how do I how am I doing that? And then so one by one, it started coming into, okay, there's reassuring angels. There's angel from the sun. There's angel of the winds. There's different characters that can go get him. Um, so I don't necessarily have to open with him if I just have enough tutors. And tutors are cards that let you search for something you need um, to get him so that I'm guaranteeing that. Um, and then, of course, if you're using the Lord's Prayer, um, Spirit as a Dove, we just slowly start adding in the offense and you start seeing these tutor cards and then other cards that kind of go with him that basically I forget. We counted up one day, Luke, forgive me if I'm wrong. It's anywhere between 10 and 15 ways to get Matthew turn one. Um, just in the offense. Um, obviously Patmos is in there as well. Um, and then also reassuring angels and Patmos can get him from the discard pile if, if need be, but so we just built that offense and it was centered around Matthew. And that was the goal of the deck is let's get him out there. Let's draw a bunch. Let's start dropping the counters and hopefully kind of pin him down a little bit right there. But yeah, that's a good example. of We just started with an idea, but let's, let's use Matthew. We didn't pick purple. We didn't pick, you know, a, a kind of a theme. We just, this is what we want. This is what we want the deck to do. So every card we're adding into it afterwards needs to support that. That is absolutely the way that I built a deck last year and and I'll 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 go ahead and mention King Noah um because and 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 this goes with my next point is that you want to manage your ideal rescues when you start building that offense with realistic resource dedication and what that means is that you don't want to have this strategy that requires you to have 20 different cards to pull it off if it's that difficult to pull off in type one, you will lose the game before you ever pull that off. I mean, I, I think we can all agree there. If you're not streamlined to the point to where you can pull this off at least by turn two with your main rescue being on the board, then that strategy is going to be too slow more than likely for what the game is currently in its game in, in, in the current state. So I started out last year with Actually, it was the fall before in 
2020 when we had some uh, regional tournaments after nationals because of the the COVID pandemic and whatnot. So I actually started building Genesis, and then it morphed about February. I started building around Noah, and I had this this idea that I would use Noah. And the reason that I would use Noah is similar to the example of Jeremiah, is that if you get Noah standalone, he's a good rescue because he comes in and he prevents cards. He shuffles a card. He's meek. He can trigger book of the law. There's all kinds of things you can do with just his ability. And what well, I mean, I mentioned book of the law, but without that, you know, you come in, prevent cards. That's a, that's a, a strong question that you've posed to your opponent and now they have to answer it. And most of the time it's difficult to answer it because scatter doesn't work on him. If you're not banding uh, with a CBN, you know, shuffle or whatever. So you do that and then you can add in, you start layering, you get protection from Mary. If you want to go that route, you can do book of the law to trigger, you know, extra searches and things. And my favorite thing about it was that with all the identifiers and things, you can you can take that that strong hero and you can build it several different ways. One of the ways that I settled on was, hey, when he converts to Miki's purple, let me put, you know, a royal priesthood on him in territory, push him out and trigger throne of David. So as soon as you block, I get to play an enhancement. But I've also used hidden treasures so that when my green prophet enters battle, I get to play an enhancement. So I'm playing two enhancements most of the time before you get to play one. And he's top decking things with Book of the Law from Reserve, Threshing Floor, and Jeshua are ways to get whatever you top deck. And I just started building it around that. And so all I needed turn one to have a solid rescue was Noah by himself. I didn't need everything else. Everything else was just adding to it, layering it up for future turns. And I think that's similar to how you guys are approaching with your Matthew strategy is you just get him turn one and he's going to lead you to other resources that are going to help you later on in the game versus I've got to have all this set up before whatever idea I have works. So I think that's really the way to to pose those questions to your opponent is to start out with a couple of heroes that are going to be strong rescues on their own and then start to build out your strategy around that, keeping that in mind. Um, and then another thing, you mentioned that you guys had, what was it, 12 to 15 ways to get to your Matthew? Something and there, yeah. I think I had 10 or 11 ways, you know, including organically drawing him to get to Noah in my King Noah deck. And so you, you build it and you make sure that it's consistent to get to at least the first piece of that. And then you start layering things on top of it. And then you build your hero lineup to support that. And I think nowadays what you really need is you only need one or two heroes that you're, you're really wanting to rescue with because everything else can be built to support those heroes because you're able to get them so much like you having 12 to 15 ways or 10 or 11 ways to get to Noah. You have ways to get to your primary rescues. And you start to build that. You come up with an offense. Now, if you come up with an offense that has 40 cards, you know, 
by the time that you get ready to add your defense and your lost souls and your dominance, probably not a good offense, at least for type one. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. If you're if you're that high, I mean, and and I guess that's might be maybe later. I'll talk to it about it a little bit later. But you know, you, I build the offense, and if, if I have twenty heroes or 10, 10 uh, good enhancements, which is obviously way too high, um, that'll be the, my basic start. And then once the deck is completed, I'll start fine tuning. And all right, I'm cutting this, I'm cutting that, like. At the beginning, I kind of just throw everything in that looks like it could work and then start going through each card and like, okay, does it really work or is this just something that I think is a cool trick? And so you're, you're going to fine-tune it down. Don't think and, – and even after you play test it, you're going to be changing things. I'm still changing things. Yes, the if you ever stop changing things when you play games, then that deck has probably reached its end cycle because once you – I, I don't know that there's a deck out there that, that ever gets to a point to where you're like, nope, I'm set. No matter what I play, this is it. You're constantly thinking about what you're going to play and changing things. And if you you don't think there's anything you can change, you've almost boxed yourself into a corner. You have to have these cards in order to pull it off, but now you don't have any flexibility to change it as the meta changes and adapt to it. Then that deck's probably reaching its the end of its life cycle. So we'll, we'll kind of shift over. Once you get your offense and you're within some certain standards of how many cards and resources you've dedicated to it, it's consistent or, or what you think is going to be consistent, and then you start building your defense. And offense wins you the game. You cannot win this game without offense. So offense does win you the game. Defense earns you more time. And that's back to how many turns it takes for you to reach your win condition. So when you start looking at the ways that you can help make sure that you are in a position to win is make sure that you build your defense just like you're posing a question to an opponent. So if me and you are playing Rob and I push Noah out and he's got a royal priesthood on and he flips to me and now I'm grabbing a card from reserve and you're going to block from hand and give me another search from my deck. You know I just top-decked and drew Authority of Christ, the old version, just assuming because that was built in Classic. And now when you block from hand, I'm going to get to play an enhancement. Now you know off of Throne I can't play Authority of Christ so because it's not Old Testament. But you're going to give me another search in my deck when you block from hand. I'm triggering threshing floor. I've got all of this going on, and you are looking there. And this is say this is turn two. Now you have a a difficult question to answer. I think I think that's fair to say that's a difficult situation to be in on the defensive side because I've got resources. You know I've got resources, and you've got to come up with something that will push through all of those resources. So when I pose that question, you've got to have the answer. Well, now you've got to flip that around. If your offense, if you think it is so good, how do you beat your own offense? If it's easy to beat your own offense with your defense, then your offense isn't very isn't very robust. It isn't asking a difficult enough question. Now, if it's asking a difficult enough question and your defense is able to do it, but it takes these resources, a handful of resources, to get blocks consistently, 
then that's probably a, a, a decent balance between offense and defense. And I think you need to make sure that your defense is built in a way that answers a variety of questions, a broad range of questions, or at the very least, if you're playing in a local play group, find out what questions you're going to be asked the most often. If I play Jay, Jay Chambers, for anyone that doesn't know, from Michigan now, he used to be in Alabama. But when we used to play against each other, more times than not, you could see him playing flood. Now, he did he did have an entire tournament season where he went away from it, and he tried out various decks, and he did really well with all of the decks he tried. But he's known for playing flood, almost to a fault, even though I, I will acknowledge that he's broken away from that a good bit. Um, but the point is, I know that the question is possibly going to be posed of flood survivors with their add to battle with their rainbow. So when I start building a defense, I have to have that question in mind because I have to have an answer for it. And I think every time you start to build a deck, you have to think about what's going to be out there and start figuring out how you're going to answer those questions. Do you typically do you typically think about the kind of decks that you expect to play when you build out your your defense so that you can answer a variety of things? Oh, 100%. Um, and not just in like local, you mentioned locals and we've got one on locals and we've got the lackey grand prix too, but you know, we got Nats coming up too. So I'm already big. Like, what am I expecting? You know, obviously I'm going to see a, a lot of people playing the new Testament gold, the disciples, um, just cause their new cars are popular, but I've also seen different things as far as post exilic. I've seen, um, we forget that the Daniel deck got that great new Michael. You know, and then your your buddy Brad's got a new David's harp to play with, so Ruth has kind of got a boost. You kind of have to like look at what's going on in the meta, um, and again, just figure out what you think they're going to play. And you need to know: Am I building this defense? Do I have an answer for the the Noah with the unlimited resources? Do I have an answer for the Big Zerubbabel banning chain? Do I have an answer for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Michael? You know, and sometimes I've even seen Joshua thrown in there too. Like you have to kind of consider what you're expecting to play. And so when I plug into my defense now, I, you know, I'll build my defense and I look, okay, can I answer this? Can I answer that? Can I block that? Um, and you got to think of the counters they're going to have down. They may have something that's, you know, negating characters doing this. So you probably need to include some CBP, CBN, um, if they're playing hand manipulation, you should probably include something that's going to grab you something from reserve. Cause you know, I mean, voice of heaven, voice from heaven is here, but I mean, you just kind of have to have a mix. And if your defense is set up to be like, I'm just going to go in and just beat people down with numbers. It's probably not going to work. And when I say numbers, I mean like the Goliath and, you know, yeah. bringing fear, like, like, you know, the people who are going to come, I mean, it can work, but there's so many CBP, CBN stuff going on. You should probably incorporate that in your defense too, but exactly just kind of agreeing with you said, John, you need to have a wide variety of answers. You can't just focus on answering a couple questions. And the biggest way is to go into the discord, see what people are, you know what, there's times I'll be like, you see it all the time, looking for a game, looking for a game. I'll play somebody. I played, um, uh, seven, seven, seven Godspeed the other day, and I've never played it before. But I just 
had a moment just to play him, just to, you know, see what else is out there and studying and knowing that is going to be a key to a successful defense. Yeah. And you cannot, you cannot put, like you mentioned, having the, the big numbers, even if you have a big numbers band, like what we used to call the Southeast defense, I guess technically we might still call it that, but you're using the King resin band to what is it? Captain of the chariots or something like that. And you, you've got high numbers with Syrians and you can grab a negate weapon or something like that from your reserve. Okay, well, that's that's well and good, but that doesn't answer every question that you're going to be posed. What if they get initiative and they play something CBN like, you know, the new authority of Christ? And then vice versa. You can't just come in with low initiative characters like, I'm going to use Profane's daughter or uh, Profane Daughters and go to my reserve, get unsuccessful, and that's going to be a guaranteed block every game. Because now when I push out Noah and I prevent, or when you play when you play somebody that's playing Windows of Narrow Light with a meek offense, when you when you come across situations where unsuccessful is prevented and profane daughters is prevented, what are you going to do? And so you have to have a variety. Now can you can you mix those? Sure. Those are both technically gray. You could have the Syrians with you know, a couple of chump block characters so that if you are going for initiative, you can do that as well. But you have to be able to answer a variety of questions that are going to be posed throughout the game. And then not only just a broad range of questions that you're expecting to see, you have to have the ability to know what block works when. You mentioned Goliath. Goliath is a fantastic block. Is Goliath a good block on turn one? Absolutely is he a good block turn one from your reserve? Well, obviously not because you have the delayed reserve access. So if you're putting him in your reserve, then you have to know that you can't rely on him until at least turn two. So now you're getting into the mid game part, you know, when reserve access kicks in round two or turn two and three of the game. And then I think four and beyond, we would consider that toward the late game. But where are your blocks, and where are you strongest at blocking? Are you able to block early in the game, but if they string it out, you struggle late because of resources, because you don't have that many enhancements, things of that nature? Or are you not, not strong blocking early game, and you get better as the game goes? And knowing that can kind of, okay, well, if I'm not good blocking early, and I know that that's the weakness of my defense, and I think my defense overall is still good. It just it struggles to block on turn one. Well, potentially, maybe you give up that soul instead of blocking with limited resources and then losing a character early, and it will also prevent them from playing enhancements in battle to gather additional resources. But knowing how your deck operates allows you to, and knowing the weakness, and that's kind of like when I mentioned pairing your offense. So when you, you, you've built this Matthew deck, are, are centered around Matthew turn one. Do you know how to beat that if somebody plays that against you? Oh, oh yeah. Um, so, I mean, Matthew coming in turn one, you're probably not going to stop him just, just from the fact that, I mean, I don't play storehouse as much, but it's very, like I said before, if they come at you turn one, Matthew, the chances that you've been able to put storehouse or four living creatures or any of those cards that the hand protection is very, very minimal. But, um, Definitely, um, 
I would I would say what the I've been messing around. Uh, this is all Tyler's uh, brainchild. Give him a shout out, but a demon Roman kind of mix, and they are they're pretty good. Uh, my brother is also uh, messing around with the disciples. We kind of had like a mirror match, and it was like I mean, we we didn't play it on timeline, but it, it was probably close to two hours on one game. We just couldn't punch through. So that that defense is pretty good against it. I mean, yeah. when you've got characters protected against New Testament and dominance, and um, so they're you know the authority of Christ doesn't work. You know, eventually they get to the choose the blocker with Simon, but even that they all banned most of them. So you really have like one or two targets to choose because if they choose Red Dragon, then you're just he's going to ban a couple of the characters. So um, there's, I mean, there's ways to answer it. Um, True. And so we, we were, when we were looking at that, that's one of the ways that we came up with. But I at least want to give Tyler the credit for the Demon Romans. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Credit to whoever comes up with these great ideas for decks. And ideas are constantly being reused by other players and adapted and things of that nature. That's kind of the point of these games is you see something that's cool and you can go and emulate it in your own style. But I, I just wanted to ask the question because – you know where your your offense struggles. You know what kind of defense it struggles against. So if you see that, then you know, okay, I'm in trouble and I've got to find a way around this. You have to identify the weaknesses of your own deck. There is no deck out there, not a single deck out there, that doesn't have a weakness. I would even say that, like, if you're talking about the Widow deck that's, you know, causing, causing you know, a fuss right now, it has weaknesses. It has a chance to to break out on, you know, the combo turn one. But if you do get the turn combo off, generally you're okay. But if they've got an answer for for it in their opening eight, and you fall behind getting the combo off turn one, and they put down enough things to stop you to where you can't you can't push that combo through the next turn, that deck is getting massively annihilated because it's not built to play a standard game. It's built to race out to an advantage and then put down enough counters that you can never come back from it. So if you can stall it out on turn one, which is extremely hard to do, I will give you that. But if you do it, then that deck doesn't have a lot of um, agility to recover, so to speak. So knowing the weakness of your deck allows you to protect against it with your play style with the deck. So that'll take us to so so we've we've talked offense, we've talked defense. That brings us to support and consistency of your deck. So dominance and lost souls are crucial for supporting your deck strategy. Generally, there's four or five dominance that people are going to agree. And and this is straight from straight from Thoughts from Portland this week. So if you want to take this information and then if you haven't listened to Thoughts from Portland, go and hear a more advanced talk about dominance. You can go and do that. But Generally, there's four to five that are almost for a player staple dominance, and that just means that every deck that you build, if it's a staple, it's more than likely going in that deck, any deck that you build. So Son of God is absolutely a staple right now for pretty much every deck, unless you're running Chariot of Fire. So it's a staple because it goes in every deck. So that's what staple means. And then you have flex dominance slots, which are like your if... We agree that there's five staple dominants, which is what Jay and John mentioned on their podcast, that you have Son of God, Second Coming, Three Woes, Chronicles, and potentially Angel of the Lord is five. Then you've got six and seven that are flex dominants, 
that based on the deck and what the deck strategy is. So if you're playing impartial judgment, you need to have awesome things so that you can pull that off pre-block. If you are playing hand control, you probably want to make sure you have shipwreck if they're running storehouse. It's just kind of an ebb and flow. Like you have to have the answer for the problem for your deck strategy. So you have to know what stops your deck. And then you use your, your dominance and your consistency and support pieces to make sure you have the answer for what causes your deck problems. Fortresses and artifacts and stuff like that can help you push your strategy. But I think it's one of those things that I know that John made a joke that you could build your deck with seven, he said, seven lost souls and 43 artifacts on the podcast. It's not going to get you very far. It's actually going to get you very not far. Like it's, it's, it's an auto loss is what it is. And it's it, obviously it's a joke. But the point is that honestly, when it comes to fortresses, artifacts and things like that, those can be easily overdone so easily. One version of the King Noah deck, and I showed this to Tyler when we did the um, Tyler and Jeremy when we did the uh, Royal Rangers demo last summer in Alabama, and I had at that time, I think it was four or five fortresses, and all of them offered a benefit, and I ended up playing Jeremy with a deck that he thought was going to be, you know, one that could potentially push for top cut at nationals and and push to win. And it was a throne-based deck, and I beat him. And I was feeling pretty good about my deck. I had five fortresses. At one point, I got down to, I think it was two fortresses. And the deck ran so much faster, more consistent, and more streamlined. It's not that those cards didn't offer a benefit, but at a certain point, you have to weigh the benefit with the cost of that card slot. And that goes back to evaluating every single card slot for your overall deck strategy. So... I know that I've definitely built decks where I've been a little heavy on, you know, the support pieces. Have you ever ran into that issue, Rob? Yeah. Um, actually, one of the iterations that I had of the whatever we were, I don't, it doesn't have a name, Speed Disciples, whatever you want to call it. I think I had probably six artifacts, four fortresses or something like that. And I was like, you know, it's getting a little clunky. And it's it's if you remember what I was talking about earlier, it's getting away from what I'm trying to accomplish that turn one Matthew to, yeah, those were some counters that I wanted to put down. Cause I was running shield. I was running Babel. Um, I think I also had treacherous land in there. Um, um, Jerusalem. I had a lot of different things. I was like, wait a minute, if I get an opening hand, that's most of those, that's not going to get my goal done. So I kind of had to like back off on some things, but okay, I need to make sure that I'm getting to what this deck was designed to do. And some of the things that we plugged in, you know, when I look at like, okay, like Lost Souls, Dominance, all those support cards you mentioned, Fortresses, Sites, Artifacts, I, I look at them all collectively as kind of like a support system, like you're calling it. And no matter what kind of deck that you're playing, what kind of theme, like your King Noah deck, your King Noah deck uh, and, and my Matthew deck, that offense for both of us is not going to have every question that we could possibly answer. And it's not going to be able to stop every counter that is thrown at us. So looking at those uh, support cards, whether it is a fortress site, dominant soul, you should be taking those to kind of plug in where the weaknesses is on your offense and your defense. Um, just a quick example, like uh, my, one of my flex doms went to shipwreck. 
because on the offset that I don't get Matthew turn one and they open storehouse, well, that just stops Matthew from doing what he needs to do. So I'm going to play Shipwreck to potentially punch through that, which is, you know, you want to think what your deck's going to be weak to and kind of get through it. Um, you mentioned earlier about Noah coming in and with, with, you know, his ability going off and all those different things and having profane daughters in your hand. But if you just simply throw in the humble soul, um, your cards can't be prevented. And that's a modifier. They can't negate it. So that's a way to use those support cards to maybe pick up the slack where your defense or your offense might run into an issue with. Absolutely. Humble soul was the bane of King Noah's existence. Yeah. <laughs> um, if they had that down and I, the good thing about the way that I built that deck, though, because I knew that people could easily do humble, and this is a, this is like the next next step of when you identify an issue and know where you're weak. Okay, so I was weak if someone had humble soul and I had a handful of cards. Well, I just told you that I built the deck at one point that had a lot of fortresses, had a lot of support pieces. It had a ton of things that I could play down. So that I I went into battle with limited cards in my hand, and then I was able to generate battle winners from the deck mid-battle, like in the battle phase, and by, you know, Book of the Law, top decking, drawing off Jeshua, so that I could always make sure that I had a resource to win a battle, but it wasn't right. to the point to where I've got 12 cards in my hand, you know, because I knew that the deck was weak when I played someone that had humble lost soul. So... You start to identify the weakness, find the solution for the weakness, and then start to answer their solution that they have against your deck strategy. So it just keeps compounding, and you're constantly evolving, and that's where we talk about you're constantly changing your deck. Because once they find an answer for your deck, now you've got to find an answer for their answer. You've got to constantly be evolving that deck. And when it gets to the point to where you can't evolve it anymore to answer what is it's weak against then you're probably towards the end of the life cycle for that deck you know until a new set or new you know the game state you're moves up, in a different direction right and then you can pull job. it back like you, out i'm not mean to cut you off there but like if you're playing your deck and you're noticed man every time they play this this evil brigade or this evil character i, I just get shut down and i lose well it's time to find an answer for that Yep, and and if you cannot find an answer for it, then that's not a super competitive deck because it's ju it just falls apart as soon as somebody plays X, Y, and Z. You know, if they're playing Black Brigade and they can, you know, string out a couple of Philistines that have negate abilities, okay, well, if you don't have any answer for that and you can't make an answer for that within your deck in the deck building phase then you are acknowledging that as soon as they play that brigade or whatever, that sub-theme, Philistines, whatever, that you lose. And you can't concede You can't concede big weaknesses like that. You want your weakness to be storehouse, which then you can add an answer for storehouse. You don't want your weakness to be an entire brigade or something like that. So you also need to gauge how serious the weakness of your deck is. And when you find that answer... If it takes you completely changing half your deck to have an answer for an issue that you're seeing, well, then you have to go back and evaluate the entire deck at that point. If it's one or two cards that answer this and you can change those and tech those, then you're you're adapting to the meta. 
basically, or what you're expecting to see in the meta. But if you're having to change a ton of cards in your deck, then your deck isn't overly optimized at that point, or it's hard to optimize it because it's not a very strong strategy for achieving your win condition, if that makes sense. So definitely, definitely, I know that I know that it, it it's come up several times about mana. You've you've seen you've seen people talk about newer players, and I'm not talking down about anyone. Me and Rob are here just just giving tips on deck building that we've learned from experience. I'm not some master deck builder. I think you would acknowledge that you're not either. We're we're just offering tips and things, so we're not saying that anyone is, you know, a bad player because. They want to use this card, but mana has come up as a discussion piece a couple of times, and I've told people that I think it's fool's gold because it's got one of those abilities to where you're like, okay, this seems pretty good, but it's just, it's not impactful enough for it to take up your art activation each turn. It's absolutely not, and I I don't see any reason to ever run that card. I don't even consider that that card exists most of the time. And that's not to say that I, you know, I'm some great wisdom on redemption cards, but I I just don't think the cost of that card in a a slot of a a 50 card deck is worth it when you have other options that achieve similar, you know, consistency pieces and whatnot. So, you also have to gauge back back to evaluating every single card slot in your deck what makes sense for the deck overall and what puts the deck in the best position to be successful like i mentioned taking away some of those fortresses and it making my deck operate more streamlined now obviously i didn't have the benefit of that i didn't have um one of the ones i cut was arc of salvation which when noah went into battle he could top deck a genesis card which could be drawn off of Jeshua, which is an additional battle resource. But at a certain point, my my reserve evolved to where I had one, maybe two Genesis cards that I would want to pull. So I was mostly using it for protecting my Noah while he's in territory so that they couldn't, couldn't hit him with something like Christian Martyr. And then, you know, I'd have to have faith or another way to get him back from discard pile. So eventually I cut that didn't need it for the the battle resource and it made my deck more streamlined but i was opened up i was weakened to them being able to christian martyr my noah well how did i answer that was at a certain point i started using solomon's temple because it gained me the extra place to activate book of the law or book of the covenant and with my noah being a king of judah off of a royal priesthood i could pitch a till card to stop a discard ability on Noah. So I kind of identified it made me weaker here to something. I got rid of Ark of Salvation. Solomon's Temple came in and boom, bada bing, bada boom. You answer you answer how you made yourself weaker to something. You answer it right back. And I think I was using Solomon's Temple at one point and Actually, it was three. It was three, three fortresses. I think in the most streamlined version, because I still had Throne of David, obviously, 
threshing floor and Solomon's temple, but still not five. And I cut down having artifacts that couldn't be active because I added an extra spot to activate one when I added Solomon's temple. So we'll kind of transition off of the support and consistency and we'll, we'll move into general tips and ideas for, for deck building. Have you ever, Rob, just taken oh, yeah. someone else's deck and um, played it straight up? Actually, that took, borrowed one of Jaden's, actually. And I think he, he knows that, his what's the deal with Teal. And so I borrowed that and just played it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And I borrowed well, and You I won borrowed an online tournament. I started playing it, and I, I had never played Priest before. So I had to get some games in before I even did it. But, yeah, I ended up winning an online tourney. Um, I will say this. I, I believe me and you have had this conversation before. Just because you borrow a deck that looks good does not mean you're going to go and wreck people. Um, the person who built that built it a certain way, and you, you know they may pilot it different than you, and you're just going to not know why a certain card's in there. Um, but yeah, and eventually down the road, I did make changes. Um, I ended up like dropping certain cards for this, and once I understood how, like, okay, I've, I've played a couple times. This is what Jaden meant for this deck to do. What can I change to fit my play style? And then I, you know, I think I posted something on the boards about, yeah, I, you know, after I won the online tournament, like this is what I had and this is what I changed to kind of do what I wanted to do and um, kind of fit me. But you have to understand if you do that, I mean, and we, I think they call that net decking. Um, but if you do that, it's not a bad thing. But you need to play it and you, and maybe ask that person, hey, I, I just want to let you know I'm, I'm trying out your deck. Why is this card in here? Why is this card in there? And, and make yourself familiar with it before you start changing it. Because if you don't know how it's run and you change cards, you, you could just mess up everything they were trying to build. Yep. But the, the main point is that you've done it, I've done it, everyone's done it, seen a deck list of a deck that they th- – they thought was pretty strong, and then they've taken it, even if they weren't planning to play it, but to learn it, to know how to play against it. This game, the way that it is set up, there's a reason that people share deck lists. You know why? Because you need to take that deck, and you need to plug it in, and you need to figure out what it's trying to do, and it might be a deck that you like and you want to run, or you could at least gain knowledge of how to play against it. Like find out what it's trying to achieve so that when you see someone playing it, you know how to answer it. You know how to find the answer to the question. But that's the reason that decks are shared is so that we can, we can share these ideas in decks and that people can get familiar with them to where we have more solid competition versus, oh, well, I've never seen post-exilics when I sit down to play them and they just warp me with, you know, speed and negating my neutrals well if you know what that deck's trying to do and you know how important certain pieces are to the deck then you know which ones you need to answer so you can for various reasons you can copy a deck list and gain information from that you can even find decks that you might want to play and pilot as your own deck for a tournament so don't be afraid to copy deck list they're shared for that very reason and then another one, like you mentioned, you've been you you've been doing some work with Luke on the Matthew deck, and then you've been working with Tyler on that defense. So collaborate with a group, find a couple of, of people, even if they're your same skill level, and just bounce ideas off of them. Or 
You know, like like you mentioned, if you ask someone on boards or Discord, you're going to get an answer 95% of the time when you ask questions. Now, if you ask a broad question like, how can I make this deck better? And then I look at your deck and I'm like, well, (laughs) I don't, I don't. You know, I don't I don't think you can make this deck better because what you're trying to do from what I see is not going to work, at least not for the same type of tournament games that I'm playing. And then I don't necessarily have an answer for you that's not just like, I, I don't know how you do that. Then I probably wouldn't answer in that situation because I don't have a positive suggestion for you to fix that deck. And you didn't ask for honest feedback if my deck sucks. Now, if you did that, then maybe we'd have a conversation, but you get what I'm saying. Like if you ask for, for ideas generally, if a deck can be improved, you're going to get suggestions on how to improve it. If you don't get any suggestions, then well, I think, I think take so, John, that how too, you like, will. <laughs> I mean, I've played a number um, of games. Um, I've played Yu-Gi-Oh! and Pokemon as well. And those kind of communities, like if, if any of our, our newer players, or especially if they're coming from those communities, those communities are very toxic and, everything's kept a secret and if you copy a deck you know they even call you like yo you're a net deck and you're neck you have no skill you're just copying and they keep everything hush hush so some of these new people might be hesitant thinking that that's how it's going to be treated but that's not how we are in this community i mean after i started you know me and luke were working on it, and like you said i started talking with tyler and i've even spoke with Jaden, um and and recently john early um just messaging these people who are top tier players and just say, Hey, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? As opposed to those other communities, they wouldn't, they're like, no, I'm not telling you my secrets. I'm not telling you what I'm doing. Like this community is much more open. I just want to reiterate that fact that go talk to these people, go talk to them. They're going to, they're going to answer you. I mean, you, you might be stuck on a card. I mean, we'll we'll use the mana example, but if they're telling you like, yeah, it's just kind of niche right now. I mean, kind of take their experience and go, okay, you know, they probably, know a little better than me but don't be afraid that they're going to be very open to talk to you yeah i think this game doesn't keep complete decks to themselves and more so like tweaking and having certain techs and meta calls within a deck is what maybe they keep more close to the vest when it comes to nationals and whatnot like if if you're expecting to see i don't know you're expecting to see more animal defense and then you you tech for that somehow, then maybe that's that's something that like I'm expecting to see that with my knowledge of the meta. Now I'm not going to share that when somebody asks me about a deck per se. If I'm a top tier player going you know close to nationals or whatnot, but if you ask me generally about the deck, I'm playing green profits. Okay, well that doesn't tell you overall the strategy and whatnot. Um, so I I definitely think there's there's information that's shared at will. And I think it's freely given most of the time. But another thing, and this is something that came up. I know that I saw Jaden mention it a while back when someone asked him, you know, they they gave him credit for being, you know, at the very top of our game currently. And, you know, if if you asked anybody, he'd, he'd be top, probably top two in the game right now, top one or two, depending on, you know, who you ask. We did have Josh win nationals and then come back and win the first Lackey Grand Prix. So, you know, he's right up there as well. And you end up looking for, I guess, bits of wisdom from players that are in that type of position and what they did to get there. And one of the things that Jaden suggested 
was to pick a theme, pick a, a brigade, and just learn it inside and out and figure that out before you move on to something instead of just playing this deck a time or two and then moving to something else. Learn it inside and out. That way you can always come back to it, pick it back up if it comes back in style, so to speak. And then, you know, before you move on to something else, because a lot of times we're dabbling in so many things, but we're not exploring them fully. And the best way that I can describe this, I know a lot of people thoroughly enjoyed the sports references that we had the last time you you were on with uh, myself and Brad, and we were talking football. So I'll, I'll, I'll switch it up, and I'll give you a fishing analogy, okay? So as an avid bass fisherman, you know, I, I'm not that good, trust me, but I want to be good. But fishermen always talk about confidence in baits and lures. So bass fishing, you have several different categories of baits. You have topwater baits, fast-moving baits, slow-moving baits, you have soft plastics, you've got bottom baits, jigs, all kinds of things. And then within all of those, you have, you know, like spinner baits, crank baits, lipless crank baits, square bills, buzz baits, uh, spooners, all kinds of things. Just throwing out that there's literally hundreds of lures and things that you can throw. But fishermen always talk about having confidence in a certain bait. So that means that they've taken a crankbait and they fished it in certain conditions so much that when those conditions are right, that's the bait that they're going to because they have confidence in it. They've caught fish on it before. Um, one of the baits that people have the most confidence in is a Texas rig soft plastic. It's where you have a, a, a bullet weight, you can peg it or not, and you've got a, a three-aught hook, four-aught hook, and a soft plastic worm. You lost me, this John. This is probably talking over everyone's head, but... <laughs> But the the point is, generally, that's you know a, a weight, a sliding weight. Peg it, it doesn't move, and it's just right on the hook. And then you 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 string a a soft plastic worm, and you fish it slow. And generally, that's a confidence bait for most bass fishermen. That if they're not catching it on anything else, they're going to throw that because they know that they can get bites with it. And I think that if you take that and then you put it back in redemption terms, I think people are so quick to switch between decks sometimes that they don't build confidence in a deck. So, like, I have confidence in blue because I started out playing Flood Survivors, then I switched up and went um, to a blue counter deck with the release of Lineage of Christ, and then that shifted into King Noah. So if you tell me to put together a deck and I've got 15 minutes to do it, I'm probably going to grab Blackie and go to Blue because I know it the best out of the things that I've played. I think everyone should have at least one brigade or one theme that they can lean into that way and feel like they know it inside and out. And I think a lot of new players struggle with, oh, well, I want to figure this out, and then I want to figure that out. I played somebody that was playing that deck, and that deck looked really good, and now I want to play that. And they just switch back and forth so much that they don't build confidence in anything. So then you have the, you know, the situation where they don't feel like they can get solid rescues with this deck. They don't feel like they can get blocks with it. But they're not sticking with it long enough to try to find the problem with the deck and fix it. And I just, my observation is I think that's a a serious thing that, that's happening with a lot of newer players 
within the game right now. Oh, I agree. Do you think yeah. that's a I, that's a fair them, assessment? You know, then again, we're not we won't ever throw names or anything, but I've seen people do that and they're just like, you know, they were playing this, but I didn't like that, and I switched it to do that and or I well, how did you test that deck out? Yeah, I played two games, I lost both of them, so I'm done with it. And it's like, well, that's really not an accurate test. Um going back to my Matthew deck right here, or mine and Luke's, you know, whatever you want to call it, but I've gone through four different defenses. You know, the offense has pretty much stayed the same, but I've swapped out defenses four times. So it's just going to keep going through iterations until I, I find that it's better. Um, and then, of course, the last defense, that's when Tyler messaged me. He's like, hey, test this defense out for me. And I said, sure, you know, I'll plug it in and see how it works. And But you can't give up. You can't just once you hit that brick wall and you, and you start losing with it, you, you have to remember losing is learning. Um, and I've said that to a couple people before. It's just when you lose, you why did I lose? What beat me? Okay, now you, it's just like we talked earlier in the discussion. Now that I know how I lost, I know what questions that were that I got asked that I didn't have an answer for. So now I know what I have to do in that deck to tweak it to make sure that doesn't happen again. But I would encourage anybody who's building decks or just getting in this game like don't don't let it defeat you i mean i played just like you john i played flood survivors for like two years i i got to the point where i could in five minutes build a flood deck and, and know it in and out and but and, and that went through so many iterations i lost so many times with it but towards the end i started winning more and more being familiar knowing what i might see what knowing what stops the deck and it, you have to be persistent and figuring those things out or every time you go to switch to a new deck after two games, you're going to have the same result. Yeah. And that's not to, that's not to mean that if you stick right. with every deck, you're going to end up winning with it. Some decks just, like I said, if you keep finding the problem with the deck and you keep trying to address it, but you're not able to address it to where you're consistently putting yourself in a position to win, then maybe that deck's at the end of its life cycle. And sometimes that end of a life cycle comes very soon. Like I built this deck last month and I've, you know, I've, you know, I played 10, 12 games with it. And it's just every time, every time I play, it's just not performing. Well, sometimes you just need to scrap the deck and the deck just doesn't work the way that you intended for it to. But you've learned that over the course of testing that deck out. And I, I mean, if we're going to be honest, the last the last deck that I think I've I kind of scrapped too early was I built a Grace Like a Flood. It was kind of a a twist on Noah instead of making him king. It was using the Mary Protect and never controlling an enhancement in battle by using Throne of Grace just to pitch a single brigade good enhancement if they tried to remove him from battle. And I played that deck at fifty seven. I played it at fifty two, and then I finally played it at fifty. I lost all three games. You know, the game at 50 was pretty competitive, but I lost it. And I kind of scrapped that deck. And it doesn't mean that I'll never go back to it, but GOC also came out and was coming out, and so that kind of influenced it. But on the one of the early episodes of Thoughts from Portland, John mentioned that he told me that I shouldn't scrap the deck. I should just keep trying to work it. But, you know, that's the situation to where – Maybe that deck turns out to be a really good deck at some point, but if I never go back to it and I've just closed the book on it, then I've done myself a disservice with, you know, 
a deck idea that I came up with. I don't know if it's good. I've played three games with it, and one of those was competitive. I haven't tweaked enough things to know if I'm able to tweak it to answer the meta or I if think, it's just not going to be able to do that. I, uh, sorry, and I think, to cut you off. I think, too, a good go test, like, because you said, okay, well, two weeks is not long enough to scrap one, but then sometime it might come time to scrap it. I think a good way to test that is to play multiple different decks against it. Like, you know, I can't just play my brother 10 times when I'm testing a deck because he's going to have the same deck. So I'm not really getting a good variety. If you play 10 diff- different types of other decks and you lose to 9 out of 10 of them, you, you, you might consider scrapping at that point because you're getting beat by too many things. But if you're playing 10 other things and you only lose to one certain type of deck, it might just boil down to a couple corrections to have counters to that. Yeah, and at a at a certain point, competitive play is going to turn into not not necessarily straight up rock paper scissors, but there's going to be something that you know you're weak against, and you're going to be strong right. against everything. You can't answer every question, and you can't have an answer for everything that would be posed to you. But what you can do is have the most. If you're answering most things and you're just weak to this one thing, well, I can almost live with that if I know that. So if I see it coming, I prepare myself and I try to work around it. But like you said, if you're losing to a majority of things, then maybe maybe that's that's time to wrap it up. But another thing that's come up on the Discord recently is, especially with this combo, and I'm not I'm not calling anyone out about that because you feel how you feel about the combo. It, it'll be answered or it won't, and we'll all have to live with the decision at some point when the you know the elders say that they're going to do something or they're not. But until that answer comes, we've got to live with it. So you either do one of two things. You prepare to play against it, or you try to run the best version of it that you can. I think that that's the fair assessment in a competitive space. So Lackey Grand Prix is a competitive space, and I think you've got to decide whether you're going to try to run the best version of the Widow deck or if you're going to tech against it. Or I guess there is a third option where you talk to the person that you're playing mm-hmm. and you agree not to play the combo either player. Um, but you have to identify what the meta is. And right now it's heavily weighted towards – it's more than, more than likely everyone agrees. I won't say that everyone does. But an unfair combo deck because it's, you know – creating an infinite loophole of utilizing two cards to completely deck out. And then you can add in another card that gets rid of all the evil cards. And, you know, you're, you're creating a situation where you're outpacing the opponent by getting all those counters down. And so the combo is what it is. But I think you have to acknowledge what the meta is in any tournament season. And then you have to make a call for your deck and how you're going to answer that. And that's kind of like what we mentioned earlier about when you start to build that defense and you know your opponents are going to pose questions to you, what questions do you expect to see the most often? So it's almost like you're reading, when you say reading the meta, that's finding out what questions are going to be posed to you and making sure your deck answers enough of those to put you in a position to win more often than not. And I think when I first started... I didn't think about what an opponent was going to play because I thought if I brought 
a strong enough offense to the table. It didn't matter what defense they play. But that's not the case. Generally, there's going to be some defense, some defensive strategy or tactic that's going to trip you up no matter how good you think your offense is. And I found that out from experience. I think the only one that you could probably say you're confident in no matter what you play against was the throne deck that had the Isaiah band after Lineage of Christ came out. But you have to identify what you think other people are going to play so that you can make sure you have the answers for that in your deck. And I do that more so now from the very beginning of building a deck. I don't know if you do that same thing, Rob, or not. But, like, when I start to build a deck and we talk about you pick your offense first, well, I'm going to pick an offense that, you know, answers several different things that I think people are going to be playing defensively right now. So if you think they're going to be playing, you know, um, Sadducees, Pharisees, and manipulating Mikal souls, protecting them from rescue and whatnot, well, now you've got to make sure that your offense, your rescue opportunities have an answer for that built in from the very beginning of your deck. And so I've started to build that at the very beginning of the deck building phase as, as opposed to building the deck and then answering the question or trying to find the answers for what I think other people are playing. What's your process with that? Do you do it at the so very beginning right there or do you do it after like you build a you, deck? Um, and again, uh, we mentioned it before, I am no way or shape or form of excellent or what I was considered the great deck builder, but uh, I, I I think as of recent that it's gotten a lot better, and I I will I'll purposely make when I told you like if I when I first get to like whatever it is twenty heroes ten hands I'm starting to, as I'm starting to cut down I'm gonna look and go okay I'm expecting to see this expecting to see that and you you're right you're not gonna cover every single thing but if you have a card that hits multiple things um it can help you kind of like with that um I mentioned that the 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 Roman demon defense kind of shut down my deck. I don't know why I wasn't playing love one another, but I am now um, because I'm going to be able to convert the humans and bounce everybody else. And that's regardless of protectability. So when they hit me with that big protection ban, I'm going to be able to do that. And then if I'm using Bartholomew, it's CBN. So I started including that in like, okay, I'm expecting to see this now. I need to kind of do that. But but you have to. It's the same way with the defense. You can't just pick the defense around the meta. Your offense should have enhancements or characters that are going to have a question that's going to make them go, hmm, does my defense have an answer for that? Like, you have to consider the meta on both sides, offensively and defensively. So, yeah, I, I do the same thing. And I will even touch back to when we mentioned Lost Souls and Dominance. And I know that we mentioned having answers for things with those and those supporting your strategy or knowing what hurts your deck strategy and them being answers for that. But when you identify what the meta is going to be, what you expect to see, especially in a tournament setting, because everything that we're talking about is for highly, I mean, a competitive atmosphere, competitive space. We're trying to do it on basic terms so that all terminology is kind of explained and whatnot so that, you know, we're not talking above any anyone's familiarity with the game, but we're we're also talking about building decks for a highly competitive space from a beginner's, you know, perspective. So 
if you're a casual player, some of these things don't necessarily apply to you if you're just having fun playing the game. But if you want to be competitive and try to win local tournaments, win the online local, these are things that you need to think about and apply to that. And when it comes to identifying the meta and what you expect to play against, Lost Souls, and I know that Meek Souls have become playable, especially with some of the defenses from GOC, but if you're playing Ability Souls, some of those abilities can really help you answer what you expect to see in the meta. So if you expect to see there Akeem and you can play Distressed, and I know that Hunter has kind of fallen out but if you can, you know, play Hunter to go to Distressed in the opening eight to try to get your Distressed Lost Soul down so that they can't hit you with Territory Class Negate characters, then, you know, that that's something that you can prepare because you're going to see a Territory Class Negate in pretty much every deck at the current moment. I think that's pretty yeah. fair to say. I, I think I see one in every deck. Is that – yeah. And if you don't see it, then you're seeing someone that's building their deck with heavy counters – to where they're, you know, trying to get the calf down to negate and then, you know, layer that with the cross and things like that. But generally, even those type of decks are still playing a negate neutral, negate characters in other territories, just layering all of that to build a minefield that you have to step through. So you got to know what you're going to play in order to build the best deck to answer the most things. And if you start thinking about that, especially at the beginning of the deck building phase like we mentioned that we do now. It, obviously, I did not do that at the very beginning. Absolutely did not. But now when I go to build a deck, that's what I'm thinking. Honestly, to the point to where it makes it a little bit more difficult to build decks because I want to feel confident that, you know, and that's another thing where I mentioned building confidence. Sometimes you just got to play it to build it, but sometimes I'll go to build a deck and I'll like, I don't know if this is, and Brad could attest to this, but like, I don't know if this is going to answer enough issues that I'm planning on seeing. So I don't feel confident in this deck. And then I'll, you know, halfway build it and then never finish it because I just didn't see it answering enough things. And sometimes you just need to build it and play it. And, and that's where my struggle is personally, is just trusting that it's going to be able to be competitive. Um, I don't, I don't want to quote unquote waste my time with a deck that's not going to be competitive and answer enough things, but I definitely am thinking about that when I build my deck. And if you want to be competitive and have a chance to win some of these tournaments, that's what you're going to have to start thinking about all the way from the beginning of the deck building phase so that every decision you make is supporting your strategy, which is how you are going to attempt to outrace your opponent to the win condition and outrace doesn't mean I've got to do it in three turns you could do it in five turns if you're building your defense to get blocks you know it's a balancing act your, your defense has to help give you time to achieve what you need to as far as your rescue opportunities and you need to make sure that your rescue opportunities are strong you're asking a really difficult question without dedicating too many resources to that to where it weakens your ability to get blocks on the other end Anything else that um, you would like to add, Rob, in closing? Be flexible. Uh, you know, that's what I would say. Just just because something doesn't work out doesn't mean you, that it's bad. You just got to swap out a card here, swap out a card there. I mean, you've got to be well. You've got to be flexible. You can't just be stuck on an idea like this is what I want to do. But if you're getting shut down, then obviously what you want to do is not working. You have to be flexible to make some sort of change. And 
also not to be the little bird that keeps bending over, hitting the keyboard button over and over, but ask questions. If you don't know the answer, like if you're new and you're like, well, I don't know what the meta is. I, I don't play the Grand Prix. I'm not on local tourneys. Ask. People will tell you. So I don't want to keep beating that one, but that's the most common thing. Honestly, that's what's helped me so much recently is just being able to reach out to people and talk to them, you know, discuss ideas and ask them questions. It'll, it'll help you a lot. And you, you mentioned to me that that was your goal after nationals was you wanted to start reaching out and having some other people to bounce things off of. And then here we are. What is this? Almost six months after nationals. Uh, Actually, no, a little off. After right, yeah. so se- six seven months after nationals, and you you think you've improved as a deck builder by doing one simple thing, which is just reaching out and asking questions. So you definitely can get better, no matter what level you're at. You can always get better. No one comes to this game, and as long as you understand the basic mechanics of the game, you can always improve as a deck builder. If anyone tells you you can't, take that advice, ball it up, and throw it away. Nobody's telling you you're going to be the best deck builder, but you can always Nobody knows improve. the day or the hour he's There's always back room to Nobody's going to so. be the best deck builder. Yeah, right on. So we'll go ahead and end it here. I want to thank you all for listening to this episode Congrats. number 22, actually, climbing up in the numbers. So thanks again, Rob, for joining. I know it was last minute me asking you, I got inspired by the conversation you guys were having on Discord today, and I was like, okay, let's let's try doing that. So thank Rob for coming on and doing that kind of last minute here. I want to remind everyone to get your Lackey Grand Prix round four games in. Currently, at the time Actually, of this recording, posted, they are uh, not John. posted yet. But okay, I stand corrected. They just posted. So make sure you get your Lackey Grand Prix games in, and we'll talk to you next week. Peace. All right. Thank you guys for listening to this week's episode. want to thank Rob for coming on kind of last minute to talk about some of this. I was inspired by the conversation that was being had on Discord today. So I kind of changed plans last minute to kind of talk about this topic. I just thought it kind of worked well for right now where we are in the game with a lot of new players. So hopefully you took something from this that will benefit you and give you different things to think about as you build your deck's deck. And we'll talk to you next week on episode number 23. Thanks again. Peace.